Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Chingwana, a podcast about women and femmes and queers and non-binaries who inspire with their heart and their hustle. My name is Leah. So this episode was a tough one for me because I interviewed my mom. And what do you know? She's a whole person with the history and conflict and hardships, a lot of which I already knew, but it was still difficult to hear. My mom comes from a low-income household with parents that believed in corporal punishment. She was forced to grow up fast and developed a habit of putting other people first, even more so after she became a teacher. So consider this a tribute to her and all moms with a similar story, because I know my mom's not the only one. Also, I would be lying if I said I didn't create this episode for selfish reasons, because I did. I wanted this memory of my mom and I. So, yes, this is mainly for me, but this is also a thank you to my mom and to all the moms who work tirelessly for their loved ones. Today, I am coming to you from back home in South Texas, and I'm here with my OG Chinguana, my mom. Hi. <laughs> mom, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, What's your name, first of all? My name is Nora. Um, well, I'll say Nora. Uh, I am 52 years old. I am a teacher, an educator, I'll say it best. Um, I've been an educator for almost 20 years, close to retirement. Yay! I'm wishing <laughs> soon. <laughs> I teach and have only taught ever fifth grade, your lovely 10 and 11-year-olds. Best year, best grade or best age to teach because they still respect you. And they still kind of want to hug you, even though you don't want them to. <laughs> um, but they still love you. They still, you know, respect you as an adult. Mm-hmm. Well, it's kind of changing, but, you know. Tell me a little bit about how you grew up and what that was like. Um, I grew up with two parents, obviously, and uh, your grandma and your grandpa. Um, very humble people. Mom gets emotional here because she's remembering my grandma who passed away in the summer of 2011. Also, since this interview, my grandpa also passed away in March of this year. My grandma was gorgeous. She had these beautiful green eyes and a big booming laugh for a woman who stood about 5'2". And my grandpa, well, he always kind of looked intimidating, at least until he got older. He had these thick black eyebrows and a thick black mustache, like Vicente Fernandez. Always a stern look on his face, but he had one of those smiles that made his eyes disappear. He and my grandma used to play music together. Grandpa played the guitar, and grandma sang. They raised five kids in a tiny house in the country that my grandpa kept building and adding to by himself. 
and ever since I could remember, that house had the walls covered in family photos. I was the middle child, the one that thought that was adopted because <laughs> <laughs> my parents didn't have any pictures of me when I was a baby, just one. And, um, and then the next one that I saw was I was already in at school. It was a school photograph. And I would always tell my parents, I'm not even from the family. I'm adopted. My dad would say I was crazy because all the pictures were of the twins, of course. Mm. Um, then my brother was born. And the five siblings are as follows. My uncle Noe and Aunt Noelia, they're the twins and the oldest. Then there's my mom, who's only a year younger. Then seven years later, my uncle Raul came to be, followed by my aunt Belle about four years after that. But because my mom and the twins are only a year apart and it was just them for a few years, they were a tight knit group. We were really close because we were the ones that grew up together. Mm-hmm. However, I felt like I was the more mature of the three. Because <laughs> they always acted so silly. I was the voice of reason because they always didn't make the best choices. And I always wanted to be that. You can't get mom and dad mad because if you do, we're all going to get in trouble. <laughs> and that often happened a lot. So... And we did. We came from a family where our parents believed in discipline. So um, if we got in trouble, we would get whooped. Mm -hmm. So it's like, uh, here comes the belt or the hand, the big hand that we always hated because my dad, that's what he would use. Mm -hmm. But my mom never spanked us. It was always dad. It was always the disciplinarian. She would send us to our room or she would just tell us, go, go and don't say anything because if you talk back, you're going to get more in trouble. So that was mom. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my dad, he was real strict. It's funny to think of grandpa like that now because now with the, the grandbabies, he's a big softy. He is. But he, man, when he was uh, when I was younger, I thought he was tall and strong and he looked so mean. Mm-hmm. I always thought. With his dark mustache. Yes. Yes. And his voice always kind of like real stern and forceful and mm-hmm. but he was a trucker so we didn't see him very much um when we were younger younger he would go off on his road trips and then come back so we were with mom a lot so when he came in it was like um it, i think that's what he felt like he had to do mm-hmm. they're not listening they're spoiled because they're here with mom so i have to be the disciplinarian mm-hmm. don't get in trouble don't leave your shoes it's very much like your dad <laughs> <laughs> very much like your dad but that was his role. He was the man. He didn't do anything in the house. Um, my mom was a homemaker. So everything came house cleaning, raising children. Mm-hmm. Uh, as soon as we were able to do our laundry, that's what we, uh, that was our role on Saturdays, my sister and me. And we didn't have a washer dryer like the convenience of that. <laughs> we had to go outside and fill a baño with water and then we had what they used to call a, I think it's a trayador it's like a um like the like it kind of looks like an AC yes it has thing. those ridges and you had you had to scrub your clothes on that it's like you get up watch Bugs Bunny for a little bit <laughs> and then it's make breakfast for the little ones which was Raul and Belle and then go off and do laundry for 
till by noon we should have been done by noon and then mom would get up and that was as we were older though but when we were younger it was her she did everything Mm -hmm. she did everything for us so I mean we were well taken care of and my dad provided like he was that was the role I guess back then and I I remember when I was um, at that age thinking I am not gonna do that that's not gonna be my life I don't want my husband to come sit down and I'm gonna serve him everything because that's how it was but you, you've also told me stories about how Uncle Noe left to the Air Force when he was 18, and so you kind of helped raise Belle and Raoul. Yeah. Because um, you became the older, Noe was sibling. So I guess Noe, when he graduated, he really didn't find himself, he wasn't, he didn't think he was good at school. As a matter of fact, in high school, I wrote all of his papers. <laughs> so he had good grades. But he he didn't see himself, you know, living that like college and none of that. He never, never talked about it. So he decided, okay, military. So my dad was like, you know, that's he's my boy and this is what he wants. And this is like a very manly thing to do. So, mm-hmm. I'll, you know, yes, I'll sign the papers. My mom was very hesitant, but she was obedient as she was always when mm-hmm. she was at home with dad. So she signed the papers too. And off he went like it. Weeks later, he, he was off to San Antonio going to get his, uh, his training. So that was kind of like, oh my gosh, I can't believe he's gone. And then my sister, well, she was always in love with this guy from high school that she met. And it was because we were so underexposed to mm-hmm. the realities of life. I feel like you you get sucked into a relationship and... I mean, it, she felt like she was in a good relationship. She had been with him for, that was her high school sweetheart. And she fell in love with him. And, you know, she was, okay, her plan was, I'm going to get married. Not her also. Never talked about college. Never, um, you know, we, we talked about the, like the local TSTC and mm-hmm. things like that that were here, like community colleges that were available to us that were easy. And I think we could afford it or get financial aid. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much the counselors even at that at school did to um, promote any of that because I feel like the counselor at our high school at the time, he was a male, he favored the academics and those are the ones he pushed more so to get a college education and he talked to them and he helped them out. If you were below, like I would say even if you were not in the top 10 top 20 you were kind of overlooked and eh, you know mm-hmm. you do what what everybody does in your family or go off and do a job like whatever it didn't matter it wasn't anything like um like they have now you know now they have all these gear programs and all these you have four counselors we had one for the entire high school and now you have one for each grade level which makes sense because you want to build up the student and follow him but no, I mean, that's just how it was, and they never got advice. She she wanted to get married and have kids and have a house and white picket fence. It's like my mom. I mean, those were the dreams. Isn't that weird? Mm-hmm. I was like, Being and I was so different. stay-at-home mom. Yeah, and, and even then, I was like, that's not going to be me. I want to go to college. I want to... How funny. <laughs> Mom gets emotional here, because she's remembering my Aunt Noelia, who passed away in 2012 after about a 15-year-long battle with cancer. 
My Aunt Noelia was a bad ass. She fiercely cared for her family, and if you hurt anyone she loved, she would tell you off and threaten to kick your ass, and she meant it. And funnily enough, she also had the biggest heart. She loved mine and my cousin's friends like they were her own children. And man, could that woman cook. After my Uncle Noe left for the Air Force, it fell on both my Aunt Noelia and my mom to help raise my Uncle Ral and Aunt Belle. I have heard so many stories about my Uncle Ral running around after my mom, trying to do everything she was doing, and my mom bailing him out when he got my grandpa mad. I remember one time that uh, he was throwing a football in the house, and he knocked something down. My dad was frustrated, and... He grabbed the football and his knife from his pocket and he just ripped it. Whoosh. And I said, oh my God, he's going to hit him. I better distract him. Or I said, come outside with me. So I took him outside and dad opened the door. So we, because we, back then, let me see, did we have that? I think it was still, we, he had just built that side, that area where they live right now, where their living room is. Mm-hmm. That was new. So I tore out and the porch I think the porch, I don't remember if it existed or not, but I was like, let's go, let's go outside to the back. So dad, I was like, dad had already popped, Raul was in tears, and in shock, I guess, that dad had done that, like with a knife, it's like, how violent is that? You just ripped his football, you took mm-hmm. the air out with a freaking knife, and he opens the screen door, and he tosses the football out there, and he's cussing in Spanish, and I'm going around the house, I was like, let's go to grandma's, and... Dad just kept him there because I said, oh, now if dad gets a hold of him, he's going to whoop him and not going to be good. Then by the time we came back, dad had already calmed down. But I, I was like trying to tell him, don't play ball in the house. You're not supposed to do that. Blah, blah, blah. So kind of like trying to teach him. And mom, mom could never say anything. She never defended us because she couldn't. Um, I guess that was just like the thing, you know, you... You stay, you're, you succumb to the, the male role of the household and you, and that's how it was. Yeah. She didn't start speaking up until Belle got older and then man, forget it, that couldn't lay a hand on Belle. She never got spanked. She never got harsh words because... Yeah, so mom defended Bill. And you wonder sometimes, like, I think those are all um, factors of who you grow up to be, like what happens in your life. As a kid, The influence is, uh, it starts there. You know, your parents. Your family. Do you think maybe the way grandma and grandpa were with the three older ones versus with Belle, who's quite a big age gap, do you think that had to do with just because grandma, like they got older? Maybe the aging. 
got tired of being so strict and or got tired over time not speaking up? I think she tried, because um, I do recall one, I mean, I, and you know what's funny is that I never saw my parents fight or have harsh words. I always saw them hugging and and that was real playful. He would slap her bottom and, you know, like that. And I never saw them fight. But the one time that I did, they were having an argument in the kitchen and I remember eavesdropping. And I couldn't really tell what they were saying, but I knew they were they were raising their voices. I knew that, and I remember hearing um, a slap sound, and I was like, <gasps> and then it was quiet. <laughs> I'm picturing it. <laughs> And I remember she, uh, rose silently. She just walked to her bed. She liked it. And she weeped, but like real quiet, real silent. And I just crawled in bed with her. And I just held her for a while. I was, and I didn't even know, like, I didn't even know how old I was, but that was the only time he, and I'm thinking that maybe she probably had enough, you're, you treat me a certain way and I do everything for you, you know, so she finally learned to stand up for herself, that's the only thing I can think of, because then after that, because people would always ask her if she wanted to go, she never worked. And people would ask her if she would go help him out. And my dad would always tell her, no, you can't. No, you can't. Like, it was everything he said was was the law, the rule. But I think at one point, one of her sisters had said, oh, you know, if you want to make some money, get out of, do something different. Um, they're hiring a provider. Back then, I guess, now they started the provider services, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I, th we, I was already married at the time. Um, and Belle was still young and my sister, my, her sisters would encourage her, you, you know, go. She did she didn't drive, so she couldn't get herself there. That was the hard part too, because how do you get from point A to point B if you don't even know how to drive? And as much as even he did try to teach her, dad, dad tried to teach her, but she was also scared. It's like, no, what if something happens? But he agreed. He's told her yes. And. Um, she started working as a provider for this lady and she liked it. It was different. She got to get out of the house. She got to meet other people. And that was another thing, you know, it's like, you don't have a social life. Her social life was her family, her sisters and her brothers. That's why they're so close. Well, they were so close at the time because she didn't have friends like that. Like you think, how do you go through life? You don't have any friends and you don't meet other people there's no so so how do you how would you say it there's socializing yeah there's no socializing with anybody and even though we had friends like our we were not allowed to go spend the night at people's houses or anything like that so she never knew any of the parents of the kids we hung out with at school she didn't know anybody we had a house phone the communication came from creditors calling the house or 
our friends, very little friends that we had, that we were allowed to have, I guess. But mom, she never, never did any of that. But she always looked really happy. It's like, don't you think? I mean, she looked happy. She, I feel like she enjoyed her life. And, and at the time that she didn't, that she kind of just coped because you had to. But she never left my dad. She would always threaten, but she never did. <laughs> I'm not going to try defending some of my grandpa's actions in his earlier years. But I can tell you that I never knew him like that. I still have vivid memories of him coming up to my grandma and hugging her from behind while she was cooking or doing the dishes. They were always so affectionate in front of people, and I'd never seen other couples like that. I don't even recall my own parents acting like that too much. I think I assumed when you got older you stopped being cute with your significant other. So even as a little kid, I remember thinking, wow, grandma and grandpa really love each other. Was that, were households, were other households like that? Like your friends, did they have similar upbringing? No, no I had a, my two friends that I would go to their house were uh, Uva and Junie. Mm-hmm. Junie's dad was white and they lived in a neighborhood where the houses were really close together. They had a beautiful home, break home, so different that it was very, at the time, modern for, and it's something we didn't have. Um, she had, we didn't even have an inside restroom at, even when I was in high school, until later on when I think Noe Noele were uh, juniors. I think I was a freshman. And they started, you know, building it. We still had an outhouse, but here you go to a home. When I was in junior high, and they have wow, well, you have they have indoor toilets and showers, and we still had a tub that we had to. Well, Dad had installed a a shower tub, but no shower head, <laughs> so we were able to use the tub with a bucket of water, and we had to heat up the water still because mm-hmm. we didn't have running water inside the house like that. Mm-hmm. We still wash dishes and uh, in, in, in you know bowls. So there, even in high school, now mind you, I graduated in 1985, so this is still in the 80s, and we didn't have plumbing inside the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, Noelia Noe graduated in 83. So, um, yeah, my friends had indoor plumbing and sinks in the kitchen and things that we didn't have. So it was it was different. Their, their family... Uh, Uva's parents were from Mexico, Mexico, but um, she still lived like a, the American life, you know? Mm-hmm. And I thought we did too, but they traveled. Like, they would go places and they would talk about the places they would go and I'd be like, I've never been anywhere. You know, we, we, we go to Harlingen and come back. Um, the occasional, uh, and I guess when we were younger, younger, the occasional trip to the beach and back. That was it. Anywhere I went, I went because my brother had a car. Uh, but not even out of the valley. I don't recall ever going, except when he would go work in the in the gym, which would be in a place called Wellman, Texas. It was near Lubbock. But that was it. I don't know. It's just the the life that you think when you're younger. It's like, how did I get out of that? But I, you grow up and you 
you have your own thoughts in your mind and I'm like, I can't live that life. I have to get a college education. I want to, you know, have a career. And back then you don't think, what's your career? We never spoke about, like even now you, the parents will say that they want their kids to have a carrera, you know? And it's like, wow, that's great because at a, as 10 and 11 year olds, I never heard the word career. I never, they never talked about it. That wasn't our life. It was, I don't know how you would explain our life. It was very routine, but um, sheltered, you know? Look, no shade to the people that want to stay home and raise a family, to each their own. And no shade to the people who haven't had the means to do anything other than that. It would be privileged to think that we all have had the same opportunities. And no, we haven't. But I'm really proud of my mom and her drive for her education. Because my grandparents, who didn't even have high school diplomas, they were doing the best they could to take care of their family. They weren't having conversations about education with their kids. My mom put in the work to build the future that she wanted for herself. And you know, speaking of future, enter my dad. Maybe I was a sophomore and he was a freshman. And we had, uh, I was in the lockers and he was in the bench sitting under a tree talking to somebody. Fabian was. And Andy comes and tells me, uh, Fabian's sitting over there, go talk to him. I was like, no, I don't know if I, what do I say? Well, he's in karate. <laughs> you can talk about karate. I don't know anything about karate. I don't <laughs> what do I, uh, you can ask him about karate. Okay. So I go over there and I sit with your dad and I asked him, I said, so I hear you're in karate. And then your dad starts talking about karate. So we struck up a conversation there. It was weird. It was little spurts of, we really didn't become boyfriend and girlfriend, but we would periodically chat here and there. So it took a little while. It wasn't just like, boom. But I knew he was the one I wanted to talk to and be friends with and hang out with for a long time. And we were high school sweethearts, so... I guess from there it went. <laughs> Life began. <laughs> and tell me about the story of how you guys got married or why you decided to get married. Okay. We, we were actually, your dad and I were just recalling that before. Because um, we were talking about how naive we were. How dumb, you know. He's like, I can't believe mom. Spoiler alert. My mom got pregnant. She had just turned 20. She was working and had gone to school to become a certified accountant. Dad had just turned 19 and was in the middle of his first semester at college in a town about four to five hours away. So mom and dad didn't see each other a lot. Well, he came home for Thanksgiving break, bada bing, bada boom, and then in January, after a few weeks of feeling funny, quote unquote, mom went to see a doctor by herself and found out she was pregnant. And my teenage dad, bless his heart, did not have the most supportive response. And I remember the first response for your dad, and, and this is just because we were so young, he's like, what are you going to do? And then I was like, what am I going to do? <laughs> I have to face my dad. He's going to kill me. That's what's going to happen. And so he comes down, and that weekend I said, we have to tell, I can't. I'm not going to come every day home and lie to my parents. I can't. So 
I told my mom first and your grandma. She was like, oh my gosh, you're going to have to leave. I was like, what? I'm going to have to leave? Why would I have to leave? I had a job. I was like, why would I have to leave? And she's like, your dad's not going to be happy. I mean, she's telling me all this in Spanish. I know you have to leave. You have to take her. She told Fabian, you have to take her. And I mean, at that point, you're like, what? You know, you're the first people we're, we're telling. How we, how, where are we going from here? And he's going to college and I'm working, but come on. So this, all this fear came, you know, came for it, came and got us. I feel like we were both sitting there and then dad walks in. I'm like, oh my gosh. So then I told my dad and surprisingly, he was very emotionless, like very, you know, his face was, I think he was mad, but more sad than mad. Because I was the one that was gonna, that went to a, a college, like, you know, I was the one that had a job, and even though my sister was working too, um, he probably expected a little bit more from me, but um, the disappointment, I could see it, I could see the anger in his face, but I didn't take my eyes off of him because I thought, I'm going to turn my back and he's going to charge Fabian and he's going to kill him. <laughs> so I kept looking at him and he just said, you know, to leave. I was like, oh my God, I'll leave. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> I got kicked out. <laughs> so then, um, Fabian, uh, I think we were going to tell both of them on the same day. So his family was already waiting for us at at uh, his mom's. But Delia got everybody together because I think he did tell Delia. Mom was referring to my great aunt Delia, who was my dad's mom's sister. She and my dad were really close when they were younger. Dad told her first about the pregnancy and she got my grandma and great grandma together to help mom and dad tell the news. So from my, I was like, I can't come home. What if, I didn't even take anything with me. <laughs> we just got in the car because we're all emotional. I was like, he kept telling me everything's going to be fine, whatever. So I was like, okay. So then here comes the next house. And you're like, I mean, you're 20, but in my mind, I'm still 15. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm so scared to death. I'm an adult. I have a job. But, you know, my life's changing drastically. And, and famous in college, you know, how do you, <laughs> how are you going to become parents when all that's going on? And then we got to his house and, uh, he comes and I clean myself up and I walk in and everybody's greeting each other with hugs, whatever, like we normally do. And then he tells them, uh, and Wella gets up and she says, Vos, que la hacemos, hijo? Like she, <laughs> and, and, and Nana was like, well, you know, what do we do? That typical them. So I felt like a little bit more relieved. And then I told Delia, I can't go back home. <laughs> so I stayed there. <laughs> what did you do for all your stuff? It just <laughs> I had to go back. My mom, I called her and she goes, come back tomorrow and get your things because he's not going to be here. And So then when I got there and I talked to her the next day, um, 
I said, was he really bad? And she said, no, he's disappointed. And then I kept apologizing. And she said, no. And then I said, mom, I don't know why I have to be <laughs> somewhere else. And she says, just give it time. You know, he'll get over it. And he did, but by that time, you you know, feminine his mind was like, um, no, there's you can stay in my room. Nobody's there. Javier has his own room. I was like, I want to go back to my house. I mean, I had uh, so many breakdowns because I didn't want to be there. It's not my house. And he had to leave. He was going back to school. And I was like, oh, my gosh. So I didn't like it. I was very unhappy. Uh, but mom kept telling me, no, just give it a little bit more time. Well, time went on. And... So all of this took place in January of 1987. Mom and dad got married on Valentine's Day of that year. Mom continued working while she lived with my nana and grandpa Juan, my dad's parents. And dad came home after he finished that spring semester of college. And then, that August, my brother Aaron was born. I hadn't even gotten out of work or anything like that. Um, I was still... I still needed, like, more weeks to go. So I didn't even think anything about it. But one day he was, I was just lying in bed and I said, my stomach, this is how naive, I'm serious, first baby, you don't know anything, you're 20 years old. And you, you haven't been really told, you haven't experienced or even talked to anybody about it. And I felt like a cramp and I said, oh, I'm feeling a cramp in my stomach, it just feels, it doesn't feel good, it's painful but it's bearable. And then, um... And then my doctor, the, the doctor we had was a quack. <laughs> but he was my doctor that delivered me so that he's the only one we could afford to go to because we, I was the only one working. It was in Mercedes at, the cl at a clinic, mind you. <laughs> and he never, I didn't do like the traditional ultrasounds and all that good stuff. All I did was he prescribed me uh, iron because I was anemic. And that was it. No prenatal, nada. It was like, all right, whatever. You know, you know what you're doing, you're a doctor. I'm just going to have the baby. So that night I said, I think I have to go to the doctor, to the hospital, because maybe the baby's coming. And we're like, but he's not supposed to be due for another few weeks. So as we were driving to the hospital, and my water hadn't even broken either. Um, I'm in the, we're registering, I'm in a wheelchair, and... The cramps get a little bit stronger, so I guess there were contractions at the time. Now I know they're contractions. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they wheel me in, and they put me on a gurney. And your dad's nervous as heck. He's like, he didn't know what to do. And, uh, and dad's 19. Right, he's 19. So I'm in the gurney, and he's holding my hand, and the doctor says, he can't go in. I was like, but this is my husband. What do you mean he can't go in? And they're like, um, he's too nervous. He's gonna. He's too nervous. He can't. He he needs to calm himself. Whatever. So they didn't let your dad in. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna experience this all by myself. So I go in there, and it was fast. I mean, I wasn't in labor long at all. I just went in there. My contractions got faster and faster. Um, when I first. And it, and it didn't even take long for him to be born either. So I pushed whatever. Aaron came out. But he, he wasn't breathing. And I looked up and I said, why is he purple? 
And then the, they were all rushing to, to do whatever they needed to do, but Aaron had the cord wrapped around his neck. <laughs> I was like, uh, panicking. And uh, it took him a while, and I was like, oh, my God. I didn't even know, and I didn't see Fabian. He, there was nobody around me. Everybody had, like, whoosh, gone to the baby, the nurses and, and the doctor, and I was kind of there by myself. And then finally I was like, he, I heard him cry. <laughs> But I didn't even carry him. They showed him to me and then they put him in the incubator or whatever. I was like, oh my gosh. And you know, you're so, so close-minded and stupid. <laughs> I feel like, oh my God, I didn't know anything when Aaron was born. So, but he was, I mean, he weighed six pounds and he was 21. He was... But he was, I mean, that's pretty average for, he was born a couple of weeks early, not too early. You were too. I mean, I don't know how something like that happens, and but they didn't even detect it because we didn't do all the ultrasound stuff that they do now. But I can't even imagine, like, what would have happened had he stayed in there longer or yeah. had I not said. But... <laughs> Mom and Dad moved out of my Nana's house about six months after Aaron was born, but Mom was ready long before then. She didn't really feel welcome at my Nana's house. I feel like she resented me to a certain extent, even though when she was in front of her sister and her, her mom, she didn't show that, but she showed it to me because she was very harsh, like a lot of times with me, the way she spoke to me and um, like if I would, didn't exist there pretty much because she would make food and she would serve your dad his meal and then she'd tell me oh there's food there if you want to eat like that that was like customary and I was like Fabian never and honestly your dad because I think he was so used to that treatment it didn't phase him that she was doing that to me so I didn't really eat there I would go home and I, after work, I would go and I would go to my mom's and I would tell Fabian, I already ate. I didn't want to have to deal with the issue of being told that. So I said, just tell your mom I already ate. It was rude. It was like, how do you do that to somebody who's living in your home? I love my Nana and I cannot defend how she treated my mom. But again, I can tell you that by the time I came into the picture, things were different. Their relationship got better. But at the time, mom was determined to move out with or without dad. Dad was going to school, and mom was the only one working, so they had to save and keep their budget low. Eventually, they landed a home that had, listen to this, three bedrooms, two baths, a front and backyard, a back porch, garage, and driveway for $200 a month, y'all. That may be the most amazing thing about this whole story. In the 11 years, I think we had been there for a few a few years, and then they were going to up at $50. We're like, what? They're going to raise our rent $50? <laughs> it was so silly. But, you know, because you're trying to save, because your dad at the time even, but even before Aaron was born, was thinking about college for you guys. Like, um, and no, I'm not going to, if Aaron ever wants an earring, I'm not going to, you know, if the baby, back then he didn't have a name, but when he was in my tummy. If he wants an earring, he can't have an earring. And until he's of age, if he wants a tattoo, it's like, okay, baby. So no, dad. <laughs> Classic dad yes. thinking. 
So really, take me kind of briefly through the the time between moving in there and then when I came along. Well, because we were doing the calendar method, right? So we were just taking it like that because I didn't want to get pregnant initially. And then I thought, what does it matter? Let's let's see if we can have our, our dream girl because my ideal family was... And I would tell him before we even got pregnant, I want to have two kids only. I want a boy and a girl. I want my boy to come first so he can take care of her when she's, um, you know, when she's little. <laughs> and a dog in a house. I mean, that was like the, the dream of in my mind after all of that. So when Aaron came first, I was like, okay, now I want a girl. When I found out, first of all, that, I, that, I, that we were pregnant, we were super excited. Me and dad. It was different, a different feeling because this time, not that it was planned, planned, but hey, we're adults now. We have one. and But yes, we were super excited. And I was so hopeful when I, I was like, oh, I want this one to be a girl. I want a girl. I want a girl. I think it's going to be a girl. Like I'm saying, it's going to be a girl. I'll spare you the details about my birth, but basically mom had some complications when she was pregnant with me. And that's due in part to the fact that she was still living a full life. She hadn't slowed down. She was back in college. She was working part-time as a paralegal. She was still working out every day. The woman literally worked up until the morning that I was born. I felt contractions and I said, I called in. Um, I think today's the day I'm going to go to the doctor because I believe I'm going to have my baby today. And I was, I was calling in sick. I had been working up to that point. <laughs> But if, I'm, if I don't, I'll go get checked and I'll see you later at work, whatever. So I call my boss. I feel like that's so... That, that's indicative of how you grew up, but also just like the Latina culture. Like you're just... Like you're giving birth, but you're about to give birth, but you're thinking like, oh, I need to call in sick. I need to make sure that I take care of my company, my work, my office, because... I'm gonna have a baby and I don't wanna put them out. <laughs> God yeah. forbid I give birth to this child and I don't formally call in sick. Like, that's just so indicative of, I think, maybe women as a whole, but my just experience as a Latina woman that you you give so much of yourself to other people to help others out and you don't really, you come second and especially you as a mom and mm-hmm. as a teacher and as a wife like I mean that's what you with grandma like she came second like grandpa came first right and that <laughs> right oh my gosh I can't believe I did that that was so dumb but you think about it you didn't even, you didn't think about it and that's because my water didn't break or nothing I just felt it's time I'm having these contractions and you know gotta go so what were y'all doing when did you go to college because you have your master's no just a bachelor's so yeah we were already living at that house and I I wanted to go back I had been working as a paralegal for for a law firm in Westaco and they gave me the opportunity to go back to college and they would pay for it so I had already had Aaron he was little so I took it and as Aaron was growing older I that's when I in my mind, I said, you know what my career should be? I want to be a teacher. Because I loved showing him things. I loved teaching him. I loved 
reading with him and teaching him how to write and do all the, the fantastic things that a teacher would, would do for a kid, right? Because they devote that time to them. And so when they offered the opportunity, I was like, I'm going to take it. It took me five years to graduate from Pan Am, but <laughs> I did it. And I did it with two kids and a husband and a $200 rent home. <laughs> yes, and 36-hour job. And more than two decades later, mom remains to be one of the most sought-out teachers on her campus. She's the perfect balance of a strict but fun teacher. And I was her student in fifth grade, so I can vouch for that. Oh, and she teaches the bilingual class, so to make things twice as difficult, she has to teach in English and Spanish, and she had to relearn Spanish to teach the class. Was Spanish your first language? Mm-hmm. However, I forgot. I mean, we didn't practice it at home. As soon as we got to, when I was in second grade, um, we were told, you can't speak Spanish. You know, La Feria is predominantly white, um community when I was younger and a lot of the teachers were white most of the teachers were white and bilingual was you know only one teacher had a bilingual group and we were all in little, all the little Mexicans were all in one you know one classroom with one teacher who spoke Spanish Miss Aguilar that was our my teacher in second grade but anyway I got away from speaking Spanish only because in second grade we were told constantly don't, don't, speak, don't speak Spanish, don't speak Spanish, you know, in the hallway, don't speak Spanish. I don't want to hear you speaking Spanish. That was our principal, Miss Johnson. So we're not allowed to speak it. And at home, we practiced our English. You know, parents still spoke Spanish. So, yeah, that was my first language. Um, but you don't forget it. You don't. You just need to practice it. Otherwise, you will forget it because I did for a long period of time. And most of my parents were Spanish speakers. So I had to use, translate a lot of stuff because I did not know a lot of the correct um, vocabulary for Spanish, especially dealing with a parent. Even still, now I don't. I have to Google Translate. <laughs> then I can, oh yeah, I can manipulate this. I know what I'm saying. I feel like I am that teacher that they come to now, currently, for strategies because I can give you, you can give me a problem and I can teach you a variety of ways of teaching it, of learning it, without and teaching it, without stressing the kid out because it's the language barrier, and you can totally see if you're studying the kids, you know their difficulty, their struggles. So if you cannot relate to that, you're going to get frustrated. You're not going to help the kid out because you're going to feel like, you know what, move out of the way. You don't understand me. I don't want to repeat myself 10 times. If you're that teacher that gets frustrated with that student, then you're not going to do well for him or her. And you find a lot of teachers will do that. A lot of them, they'll, they can't handle that setting because the kids are challenging not their behavior so much it's the learning part of it so when i say i have a tough crop i told dr cantu this year i have a tough crop of kids and i felt like you know how am i going to do this i i did not get a group that i feel i can work with and man they were a challenge and i haven't had that before when you were in my class we had a a sporadic amount of bilingual kids mm -hmm. but they all spoke English and I didn't think except one of them remember the uh, what was his name was his name a little I don't know who you're thinking he did speak English though but he was more he came in from Mexico and I remember him I think you're thinking about Alvaro 
I don't know if last night I can't think of it. I don't know if you remember, but it was Thanksgiving and we were sharing stories, remember? Mm-hmm. And then he said that, that his family had dug a hole uh, in the ground and they put, they made fire and that's how they made their turkey. Like, and he was super excited because he had had a turkey for Thanksgiving, but they made it, they didn't have a stove. And I remember they lived in a little shed, like one room. And I, I, that day I remember thinking to myself, wow, these kids really, they struggle. <laughs> but it, it's not so, I mean, not that you and Auntie and Uncle and Ral and Belle like lived in a shed, no. but I mean, you guys had pretty humble beginnings and you tell yeah. me stories of some of your students and the living situations and it's like you you kind of had that similar like you were kind of that student yeah. a little bit yeah so I can relate I can relate to the issues especially with the finances and you don't have the money mm-hmm. and like the parents who aren't super educated and who speak mostly Spanish yes. and oh yeah and they couldn't that's the thing now with like I think parents who rely on their children to translate at doctor's appointments or right now with the immigration issues that we have and like the detention centers and things like that like it's these little these kids in fifth grade that can speak better English than their parents are the parents are relying on them to help translate for these very that's true important life life situations you're right you're right and I have, I, I have many parents that um, I have made connections with, my Spanish parents, because I can, I can relate to their kids in a certain way. The household, the strict household that, you grew, that you're growing up in, some of them are still like that. And the expectations of a, of a, of a kid who's 10, you want him to do his chores. He's got to work. He's got to help you maintain the household. He's got to, if, if it's a, you have younger kids, they got to help you take care of them. I mean, that I can relate to. And I do have some parents that are super grateful for teachers like us who can understand. I cannot have me be the only one with, with dealing with, I have to teach these kids. I have to be kind of a mentor to them. I have to be a mom to them too because they come with their issues and I can relate. And when they talk to you, you want to be able to share your your experiences. So. The connections that we make with the bilingual kids, especially the bilingual kids, because they're the ones that come in that we have more interaction with because they're the ones in tutoring. They're the ones that stay in, you know, we, we keep them in because we want them to, to help them grow. Do you think that's part of the reason? Because I know in the last couple of years you've talked about how you're ready to retire. You even said it earlier, hoping to retire soon. Do you think part of the reason is just because it's really emotionally draining to, because you're not just the teacher. I know, we you, have so many you, roles. You carry all these other students with you in their lives and their problems, and clearly it still affects you. Yeah. I don't know. That's. I know your dad says he's ready to retire. I don't know if I could. I feel, I, most days I feel like when I'm in, in the flow of things, yeah, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to give it up. But I don't know if I could. That's a great question because I don't know how to answer it. (laughs) Dad, you've seen mom day in and day out as a teacher through the last 20 years. What 
what uh, what is the perception that you have of mom and her job and what it's like for her? Well, first of all, your mom's uh, an extraordinary teacher. She goes above and beyond, I think, uh, her role. And um, I just feel that now it's harder just because the, the kids are... I don't know what's wrong with them if their attention span is, is, is even less than it was before a few years ago. And I'm just talking about maybe seven years ago, seven or eight years ago. Yeah. It's, and I was telling Leah, it's, I think it's technology. It's what's out there. Social media. There's so much. The parents. Like the parents are just, they expect miracles, and they don't want to put in the time. They don't want to put in the time at all. I mean, I think we we d did as parents, you know, maybe your mom focused more on the academics. I don't know, because a lot of times I was at work. So, and then I focused on the athletic part of things and just to try to teach you you know that it's not always it's going to be hard sometimes and then you have to make make when things are not working your way you know you just you got to find a way through you have to find a way through and and uh, sometimes you just have to take the, the role as a leader and I think that's where the parents, like the, the parents have lost that. Like they don't have conversations with their kids. They don't have connections with them. They don't ask them, how was your day? What happened today? What be, and they're not involved. So the kids come in and out and they rarely have conversations. They don't eat together. They don't, not that we ate together, but we had a lot of conversations. Mm -hmm about things that happened at school and and because we need we needed to know what you guys were thinking and we wanted to know it's not only so much the needy part but that doesn't happen at all and you can ask the kids well does mom know no well why didn't you share that with mom like even as simple as awards day kids got awards and we didn't have their parents weren't there and then I said well did your mom know and when the kids said no, I didn't tell her why. And I don't know, they wish she wouldn't have come. Those are the responses you get and I'm thinking, how do you not come? It doesn't matter how small your kid's award is. I mean, if your kid's telling you they're getting an award, don't you think they want you there? And so I had a few of those and I was very surprised that I thought, man, I would have, I know your dad lost sleep a lot to go to certain things. And I would make a point to go to whatever I could. I just don't understand that mindset of a parent that doesn't want to be a part of their kids' lives. No matter how many kids you have, each one should be equally important and you should pay attention to them. I think that's where we're losing that connection with that the parents don't really know their kids. Not so much that they don't care about them, but they don't know them. Mm -hmm. and they don't know what's going on in their everyday life, even in their academics or their social lives at school. They don't.
kids get in trouble, parents don't know why. They think there's a different kid at home than there's a different kid at school. So, One of the things that I, I always, I guess, took pride in is, you know, we, we wanted to be the ones to coach um, the teams because, like, it was a chance to be with you guys. Even though we took on, you know, 10, 12 other kids, we, it was a chance to, to be with you guys. And nowadays you have parents that they want to put their, their, their kid with, with another coach to try to teach them how to pitch or the game of baseball or the game of basketball or, or the game. Of, and, and I, 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 I rather, I rather read on up on it practice it myself and then go out there and teach it and then that way at least even if I'm you know not doing it right you know you you have the memory of oh well my dad did it with me he taught it and um, I always felt that was more important than you know getting somebody out there to, to coach you that has 50 other kids that they're, they're being paid to coach. My parents spent so many years just tending to my brother and I, attending all of our functions, coaching our baseball and softball teams, dad working nights, mom working late. So rarely did mom and dad take time for themselves. It was so routine and so busy that I feel like it went by so fast. I felt like we were, we never had time to complain about anything I was telling him I said seriously babe I don't remember complaining about the kids and taking them everywhere we went let's go it's like get in the car and never feel like you were a burden or you know it was just something we knew we had to do these are kids we want to spend time with them because our lives are so busy and you guys were at grandma's here and grandma's there and then when it was time for us it's like come on you're coming with wherever we went we were busy I, t I tell you that sometimes I don't know how I don't remember, like, even our own relationship from when we were, we had Aaron and you to where we are now, when you guys are already older and out of, out of the house, our relationship, how we even interacted as a couple, because our lives revolved around you guys and the things that we did with you guys. Not because we had to, but because that's just how we wanted it. That's how it was. And everything we did, we didn't even contemplate us. It was, you know, you guys. So yeah, man, we were in, it was a rushed, rushed few years earlier. Few years? 18 years. Wow. Well, I mean, more 18 years for me, but Aaron's five years older than me, so. Yeah. I don't know. You just did it because you knew you had to. It was life for us. Even when you guys were here in La Feria when Aaron was going to school and I was teaching in San Benito, I kept thinking, how am I going to get to my kids' events? I got to get there. I got to be there. But most days, I couldn't. So your dad was a hero because he never missed anything. He was the one that, I'll be there. Don't worry. He'd tell me, don't worry. You don't, don't you know, stress about it. Just do what you need to do and I'll, I'll be there. We just had to make sure that one of us was there for sure. Because I know I did miss a few things. 
but he didn't. He was there all the time. So that was your dad. <laughs> You're probably number one fan. I love this about my parents. I'm so incredibly grateful for their support and ability to show up. Because I know not a lot of kids had that growing up. Not a lot of kids came from a supportive family. You know, even when I played in the junior high band, and you know junior high bands are not good. Even when I sat on the bench for entire seasons, even when I decided I wanted to start a podcast. My parents have always been there to cheer me on. They're my best friends. My boyfriend is baffled by our ability to stay on a phone call for four hours. But I would much rather be sitting with them in their living room, drinking wine, and watching Frasier reruns than doing anything else. But our relationship wasn't always like that. It was strained at certain points. That changed after my brother passed away. We lost Aaron in 2013. So, if you're keeping track, that's the third death we endured as a family in a three-year span. My brother was my best friend. He used to call me every day, on his way home from work, just so we could have someone to talk to. He played basketball on Sundays with my dad, and watched Friends reruns with my mom. Some of my favorite memories of our family are of us laughing so hard we couldn't breathe. And I couldn't tell you what we were laughing at, I just... I just remember the feeling. So in your... How old are you? 52. In your 52 years, what... What stands out the most? What's been the most memorable? What are you... Most proud of? What are you... More family. My creations, you and Eric. Now I write when I sign people's cards, Fabian, Nora, Aaron, and Leah. And in the graduation cards that I've written, I've put down there for forever. So I think it's, oh, I don't think I know it's that because I feel like that's been something I dreamt about my two kids, my boy and my girl. And I wish came true. I love you, and Mama. Life was perfect. Me too. But yeah, that's my greatest accomplishment. And because I think because you and Aaron, Dad and I are the parents that we are. The things we've learned from being parents to you two and the things that you guys have taught us as well. It's just combined we were a unit. And I really don't see a lot of families like that. I feel like we did something right. I was telling one of my other interviewees, she was before I showed up to interview her, she was on the phone with her mom and she got off the phone with her mom because she was just uh, shortly after that her parents were going to fly in to see her graduate with her doctorate. 
we both got a, on a conversation. I was like, yeah, the older I get, the more I realize I'm becoming my mother. <laughs> as much as I tried not to. Oh, gosh. And she's like, yeah, no, isn't that always the case? And I was like, yeah, but you know, I feel like I'm becoming her, but she's becoming me a little bit. Like, we're meeting in the middle. <laughs> I agree, Leah. That's so funny that you say that, but I completely agree. I feel like you keep us, Dad and I, in our youthful stage i think that's what you and aaron did for us because we we were active we remained active so that we could do things with both of you and i think we're we're still like that because we want to be able to do those things and we talk about traveling we should go back to dc we should let's ask leah and you know and you're you're still included in our our future you know of course our travel plans but yeah. now it's y'all's time. I mean, you guys, I feel like I I moved out, and that's when you guys start taking cool family vacations. And, like, We're not you go taking... ziplining, <laughs> and you go to Vegas for a week, and you do this, and you do that. <laughs> I know. We kind of discovered. But you've done it before us, so we're like, can't believe Leo went to Vegas before us. I we went need with my to go company. To Vegas. I know, but now it's like we... You're right, though, but because we've said, man, Leah's done it. Now we got to go to New York because Leah's gone to New York. <laughs> you, too. You, those opportunities for you, you need to take them where you can. Do not let anyone ground you. Not even Isaac. I'm sorry. I love you, Isaac, but <laughs> you do. You need to. You need to stay, stay young. I mean, at heart, if nothing else, it's going to make you a better you. I promise. <laughs> It has me. My mom taught me a lot of things. She taught me to be humble. One of the biggest things. And to enjoy life and laugh at it because things are funny, even no matter what. And I think that's what helped help us get through the, the tough moments, which <laughs> they're here. Well, I like to end my interviews with the question who in your life is a chinguana you I so admire your strength Leah your independence I uh, talk about you all the time sometimes I run across a little you in fifth grade that has the same mindset uh, about, you know, women and girls and what girls can do and her independence or the way that in their minds they, they're growing to believe, but not because anybody's taught them, because they've seen or read or they come into their own based on what they've experienced so I feel like I don't know how you became this person I don't know if I had anything to do with it but it's a process and I feel like you learn from what you've seen the people in your life what you've experienced what you've gone through the good and the bad because that's what gives you the strength to move forward and to Think outside the box. A few years ago, I 
wrote a post about my mom and I can't even remember why. I don't know if it was Mother's Day or her birthday, but to this day, it's probably still the best thing I've ever written about her and one of my favorite things I've written about anyone. I said, this is my mama. She taught me that you can never have too many friends, that it pays to be kind, and that it's possible to take 15-minute naps, even though I still haven't figured that one out. She taught me that being an educator is hard and often a thankless job, that it's okay to spend entire days on the couch because sometimes you need it, that you can still be in your 40s and now 50s and still run for miles at a time, that sometimes the only person you need to worry about is yourself and that's okay. She taught me that when you lose a mother, a sister, and a child in a three-year span, it is very possible to somehow keep living. This is my mama. She's beautiful, and she's kind, and she laughs at everything. And I love her. Thank you for listening to this very special episode. Please like, rate, and subscribe. Tell all your friends. All episodes are streaming on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. I'll link all the music in the show notes. And as always, special thanks to my uncle, Raul Garza Jr., for writing and performing the theme song. Find Chingona on Instagram and Twitter, at Chingona Podcast, or you can email me at chingonapodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you all soon.